Welcome to another Truth Factor discussion. On today's Truth Factor, we will continue on our study through the book of Acts. We are in chapter 25. The Apostle Paul is still giving his defense before King Agrippa. And you know he would be let go if he had not done one thing, and that is appeal to Caesar. So we'll be looking at, looking at that today. Tom will be leading our discussion. And all those bells and whistles remind me that I failed to silence my phone before our study. Phone is now silenced. Thank you so much for joining us for our study today. Paul, if you would take a moment, and let everyone know how they can participate in today's study. The uh, designation we use on all of the social media, the, the handle or uh, whatever uh, you want to refer to that as, is Truth Factor Live. So if you're looking on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or any of those kind of social media, you'd be looking at Truth Factor Live. Uh, you might also, if you're searching for us, you might also go to truthfactor.live and look at the live viewing page. That's truthfactor.live and look at the live viewing page. Uh, John, remind me, uh, oh, you just did. Uh, if you want to send us questions, send it to questions at truthfactorlive.com. That's questions at truthfactorlive.com. And uh, if you want to send messages to us individually, I'm Paul. Uh, there is Mike, there is Brian, there is John, there is Tom at truthfactor, uh, truthfactorlive.com, and that will give individual messages. And so we look forward to your input today and your participation because we love to have you involved in our Bible study today. And when you make those comments or you ask those questions, we'll try to introduce those in as timely a manner as we can. Please remember that there is somewhat of a delay, sometimes up to maybe even uh, a minute delay, uh, sometimes much more close to real time. So if we don't see your message immediately, uh, it is the magic of the internet uh, working on us there. Thank you, Paul, I appreciate that. We're going to turn it over to Tom here in just a moment. I need to finish launching the social media interconnection program that is designed for vMix that lets me see what you have to say. And so give me a couple of moments as Tom gets us into the study and comment away. Tom, go ahead. All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, let me begin by saying I have with me today Dan Gatlin. Uh, he preaches in Kerrville, Texas. Uh, and, and this week he's preaching a gospel meeting for us here in, in Bellflower. So if there's anybody listening in the Los Angeles area that uh, uh, feel free to come be with us uh, tonight through Friday night, 7.30 each night. But this is Dan Gatlin. So how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to, good to be with you today. Right. Exactly. Okay. So anyways, we're going to be studying uh, Acts chapter 25, and we're, we're getting toward the end of the book of Acts. And, and we're in the middle of a part of the book of Acts where it, it's mostly historical. That's not to say there's not some lessons we cannot learn, but basically it's outlining the details that are associated with Paul's travels after he concludes his third preaching tour and uh, uh, basically explaining how he will end up in Rome. Now, one thing that's interesting to note about this entire section is this helps to establish that what we have here is a historical document. And, and, and that's important from an evidential standpoint, because when we go and try to prove the word of God or that the Bible is the word of God, one of the ways that we're going to do that is to show that it is historically accurate and that it's based on historical events. And uh, you have this chapter here, 
it, uh, it, it basically shows you that this is not, or, or, or it helps to establish that, that what we can learn from the doctrinal teachings is relevant because the events are real. I mean, that's what chapters like this show us. And so we want to just continue today um, with that. Uh, last week, when we concluded the last chapter here, we find that Paul had been uh, taken from Jerusalem to Caesarea. Uh, he was dealing with uh, Felix, and he tries to teach Felix a little bit uh, on several occasions. Uh, Paul's left in prison in Caesarea for two years. Uh, and then Felix uh, leaves office, or he is succeeded by Festus. And that's where we begin our talk uh, today is with Festus. So Paul's been been here for two years in prison. Uh, house arrest, we might describe it as probably the better description uh, of what he was dealing with. Uh, but that's where we're at. And so I want to begin with Acts chapter 25. And I want us to go ahead and we, we will read the first 12 verses of this chapter and uh and uh brian since you've been gone a couple of weeks welcome back and i'll just go ahead and get you to read this particular section if you will all right so we'll be reading out the new king james version acts chapter 25 verses 1 through 12. now when festus had come to the province after three days he went up from caesarea to jerusalem then the high priest and the chief men of the jews informed him against paul and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they laid in ambush along the road to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there's any fault in him. And when he had remained among them for more than ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove, while he answered for himself, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I have done nothing wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender, or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me. No one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You've appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. Okay, thank you, Brian, for uh, uh, reading that particular section here. Uh, uh, we have a chat room question here for if anybody that's listening that wants to participate in that. Uh, and I guess, uh, Brian, are you going to get all those things put up everywhere? Uh, the, the chat room question is, can we use the laws of the land to protect our spiritual rights? And, uh, because we find that's what Paul does here. Uh, uh, he takes advantage of the laws uh, to, to protect himself. And, and uh, so let's talk a little bit about that at the conclusion of this section. So, so as we begin this particular section, kind of like what uh, Paul, who was leading the study last week, uh, <coughs> he talked about several characters. Let's just ask real quickly, 
who are the various characters that we are dealing with in this particular context? We start off with Festus. So, so uh, does anybody know anything about who Festus is? He succeeded Felix. Right. Yeah, as we read here in the text. Uh, and as such, he's a, he's, he, he's, he's a governor in this particular region. Uh, and of course, Caesarea was, I don't know exactly how far it was from Jerusalem, but it was probably a pretty substantial, uh, or, or I mean, a, a few miles, uh, 20, 30 miles maybe, is what you would be dealing with here. And uh, uh, we find, among other things, that he's a fairly new leader here. And and uh, uh, it would be, as reading some sources on this, it would not be uncommon for new leaders to uh, kind of visit around their region and get to know various individuals, get, get to know the, the various tribes and so on that they would be dealing with. And in the case of Jerusalem, the Jews. So he would go down there and he uh, likely met with the Sanhedrin, uh, the council that was down there to get information and so on. So. So he, he goes to Jerusalem for a few days is what we find here. And I guess that's uh, uh, another question that we have. So that's who we have as Festus. He's, he's a governor of the region that would include Jerusalem who precedes uh, Felix. Does it seem that he that? is probably a subordinate to uh, Herod Agrippa? Yes. Yeah, yeah a, a subordinate to, yeah, to, to King Agrippa. And that would be interesting because he's actually introduced in the next section here. So we have that. Uh, we also have the chief priests and men. And who would they be? They're mentioned here in uh, verse 2. And uh, New King James says the high priest and chief men. But as I understand the word high there uh, could also be the idea of the chief priests. So who would that be dealing with? Thoughts? Not the same men that took a vow that they'd neither eat nor drink till they'd killed Paul. Are these not the same fellows? It, uh, it, it could be. I, I think it's from the same group. And, I, I, and, uh, I've always contended it's it's at least among those same men. And if so, somebody's getting awful hungry by now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say awful skinny. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say awful skinny since they're. Yeah. yeah you're talking so we, two years without food? We've got two things going on here, as, as reason would have it. Number one, these fellows still are angry at Paul after more than two years. They obviously could not have kept their vow. They would have starved to death, died of dehydration and other maladies. The second point is, these are men that are absolutely determined to ruin Paul, whether they ruin the gospel or there's, there's no indication whatsoever that they're angry about the gospel in as much as they're more angry at all. They, they just, they, they want rid of this guy. The, the, the point being that he's a fellow that has proven that the old law is no longer binding because of the death of Christ. And by that information, these chief priests, and especially the high priests, could be out of a job unless they kill Paul. The point being that if, even if they'd killed Paul, they'd still have been out of a job because these things that they contend for simply don't exist. Yeah, yeah, ex exactly. And, and so that's what you have taking place here. And so you have these Jewish leaders who are in Jerusalem. 
and it's, and it's kind of interesting that Festus, he's gone up to Jerusalem. Uh, another interesting observation, I, I don't know if we've ever mentioned this as we've gone through the book of Acts in our studies this time, but it's kind of interesting that whenever Jerusalem is mentioned, it always uh, geographically mentions that you go up to Jerusalem and you go down from Jerusalem. Uh, even though Caesarea is north of Jerusalem on a map, it was still going down. And, and, and uh, incidentally, the reason for that is Jerusalem was on a mountain or, or, or a higher hill. So you had to go up to approach the city no matter what direction you came. So, but, but anyways, uh, that's just trivia, but, but interesting to note there. Uh, so he goes up and, and he meets with these chief men in the city and so on. And, and, uh, they, uh, petition him. And what request did these men make of Festus? Which has kind of already been mentioned by Michael, but. Any ideas? They want him to be. They want him to be uh, transported, uh, and in transporting him, the object the objective would be that somewhere along the way that uh, he would not successfully make the trip. That they would ambush, and they would kill him. Uh, they're not really interested in a trial. They're not interested in keeping him uh, imprisoned. Uh, they're, they they want. They have had it. They're done with Paul, uh, and they uh, are looking forward to an execution. Uh, of the Apostle Paul, or not an execution, but a uh, assassination of the Apostle Paul uh, would be yeah, their goal. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say much like much like Jesus, some thirty years earlier, uh, they demonstrate their they demonstrate their I don't know if you'd use the word vitriol, uh, their their animosity and so on, their, their their hatred for individuals more so than the law. Uh, it, you know, anything to destroy a person, you know, let's not uh, let's not set back and actually analyze what he says. Uh, let's not engage in a debate on whether or not what he says is truth or has some merit to it. Let's just, you know, let's get let's get rid of the messenger because we don't like the message. And and uh, and and I, I, I just I just find it amazing, as was mentioned here. Here it is two years later. Paul, for all intents and purposes, he's been out of their hair. You know, uh, they haven't been able to do anything with him because he's he's been in, he's been in prison in Caesarea, but yet that's not good enough. They want to destroy him, and 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 so that's what uh, that's what you find in this situation. And they petition uh, uh, Festus, thinking that he's going to help. Them. You got any thoughts on this? Well, just uh, you go back to chapter 24 and the accusation initially was that this man is a plague and a creator of dissension among all the Jews, which was nothing that should bring the death penalty. Yeah. 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 Especially if he's not in your midst, you know, and, and he wasn't there. You know, he, he wasn't in Jerusalem, even though his impact was there. I'm sure that that was their con that was their concern. You know, uh, I, I, I do believe a lot of this had to do with you get rid of Paul, you send a message to his followers. And uh, 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 I, I think that's part of it. Anyways, any other thoughts that anybody has on that? You know, I, I, another question that I have here for our panelists, were they honest in their request to Felix or Festus? No, they were setting an ambush. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
Uh, and that's the point that you have here. Uh, uh, and, and if you think about that, uh, establishing an ambush, it's obvious that they were willing to kill Roman soldiers to get at Paul. You know, whatever Paul's escort were, they they were willing to kill people just to get to him. And and that takes that takes a corrupt mindset. You know, uh, we call people like that today terrorists. I mean, because, you know, that, that's basically the type of a mindset that you have in that. So so that takes place. Now, uh, now, uh, how does Festus answer them? Any thoughts? John, you're, you're muted. I am. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. Of course, he answers them with uh, with no. It's very simple. He says um, that Paul was going to stay there in Caesarea, and Festus himself would actually go to see Paul. And then he said, therefore, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse the man. So instead of trying to move Paul, he's going to go himself. Right, right, yeah, and you know, so one of the one of the resources that I was reading as I was preparing for this kind of made the idea that Festus seems to have a little more, little more integrity than Felix. You know, you know, uh, uh, from that standpoint, uh, Festus knows that Paul is a is a leftover from what Felix had done, and he, and he wants to deal with Paul. You know, and uh, you know, you know, let's get this situation taken care of. You know, he's been in, he's been here for two years. Nothing's been done, no trial or anything. Like that. He needs to be dealt with, and uh, and I see a little bit of that here. You know, actually wanting to wanting to address this particular situation, and at the same time, being new to the region, I think he also wants to politically be politically correct, if you will, or do what he can to appease appease the crowds, which is why he offers to see if Paul is willing to go down to Jerusalem. So so you have that taking place. Uh, now, so uh, uh, are the accusations of the, uh, how are these accusations of the Jews before Paul described here? Paul, Paul makes it clear that they are unproven. And uh, what's interesting about that is they've had years to prove these things. They This is the second trial now. And so when he says unproven, he's saying that in, the, in a matter of not just his desire or what he's trying to make the case of. He's, he's actually making the, the statement that judicially, that after many attempts, these, these acute accusations have never been proven. So they are completely unproven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's kind of interesting as you read through the text, and I believe the scriptures is bearing this out for a reason, is uh, they could not prove the arguments that they were making. And I believe that Festus knew that. You know, you know, based on his conversation with Augustus and so on, uh, uh, there's there's nothing that really holds water in the accusations. He realizes that this is this is really this is really a religious dispute, and uh, uh, that's what he's dealing with. But yet they want the Roman government to deal with it, which within itself is an issue or, or a problem. But of course, of course, I guess you also look at it from the standpoint of they. They would have just as soon left the Roman government out of it if if the centurion hadn't stepped in two chapters ago and rescued Paul from them. They would have taken care of it. Uh, but 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 now Rome's involved, and uh, and uh, they also know that Paul is a Roman citizen, 
So that adds a little more weight to what takes place and how Rome takes care of them. So you can't just, uh, if you want to use the expression, you can't just throw them to the wolves, you know, and, and, and so that's taking place there. So, so uh, we, we find that. And then we find Paul uh, defends himself. It's kind of interesting the way that Paul descends him, defends himself when, uh, when uh, in verse number eight, and I think Brian was kind of alluding to some of this a few minutes ago. What does he say? He said there's not there's not one actually one entire law that he's broken. He hasn't broken the Jewish law. He hasn't broken the law of the temple. He's not broken Caesar's law. That there's actually no law that he can be held accountable for that he has broken. Yeah, and that's what, and it's kind of interesting how Paul points that out. You know, I haven't broken the law of the Jews. Uh, uh, and I and and we know that what this you know I didn't bring a Gentile into the temple like I'm accused of, uh, and I haven't really violated any of Caesar's laws, you know, as far as that goes. So he makes that observation, and then of course Festus again, you know, well, well, you know what? Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand before them? And and I think Festus, you know, very likely he knows the outcome if. If Festus takes him to Jerusalem and, and they deal with him according to their law, you know, Festus knows this isn't going to turn out good for Paul. Uh, I, 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 I don't think he's so blind as to think that these, these men are upstanding and have integrity in dealing with this situation, that, that they're going to honestly let him go. You know, uh, whatever, you know, he, <laughs> he makes that as the offer. And of course, what's Paul's defense? Tom, I was going to throw a thought out there. It is interesting to think about what Felix might or might not know. Yeah. And, it, and it almost seems as though that Felix is willing to trust and believe in the Jews wholeheartedly, in part because uh, you mentioned it before, and I think it's a, a tremendously important point, that, that what the Jews are plotting is basically insurrection. And I think that if Felix had had the inkling that they might be lying in wait, as you said, to ambush both Roman soldiers and a Roman prisoner to kill him, I think, I think Felix would have been, because which would be an act of insurrection. I think Felix is responsible to a lot different. I think Le Felix wants to believe that, you know, Jerusalem is a is a reasonable uh, idea, you know, that, that he might not be seeing this as, you know, that, that, he, that maybe he thinks they might make a case against him. But I think in the end, he doesn't appreciate just how, how wicked their intention is. Right. And, 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 uh, you know, adding that, I also see like this political correctness there. You know, uh, uh, again, rem remembering all of this, that Festus is new. And, and, and because Festus is new, you know, he's trying to appease these people. So, so you know, you know, bring them down. Yeah, let, let you try them. And, and, like, and that would be a good point. You know, maybe, maybe he's still giving the benefit of the doubt and assuming the best. That, you know, when you get down to that, they're, that honestly, if you see he's innocent, you let him go. Yeah, you got Just yeah. Either way, he's passing the buck. If he knows they're going to kill Paul, the problem yeah. is gone. If he thinks that uh, uh, the Jews are going to try him, the problem is gone, at least temporarily, right. and perhaps in his mind. Right. Yeah. And that's what politicians do today. I mean, you look at the trial of Jesus. Yeah. How the, you see the different phases of it. Nobody wanted to deal with him because they knew he was innocent. Yeah. Yeah, but but didn't have enough courage to let him go. Right. Yeah, and that was true of both Pilate and Herod, and I guess you could say that was true of the of the Jewish leaders too. They knew he was innocent, you know, uh, the way with the things that they had to manufacture 
in order to even pretend to have a reason to accuse Jesus. You know, it shows that they knew he was innocent. And 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 I'm kind of disturbed when I look at the political climate today in our society. I think we can learn something from this chapter and and the way that our political climate, and I'm not going to take sides on this. I think both sides are behaving badly. You know, you know, uh, and and uh, you can see similarities to some of what we read in this chapter here, as underlying underlying motives and attitudes behind the actions that are taking place. Uh, so, anybody else have any other thoughts there? And if not, what is Paul's response when Festus asks, "Are you willing to go to Jerusalem?" His answer is simple. Yep. He says, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I've done no wrong, as you very well know. So he appeals, yeah. appeals to Caesar. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and here's another interesting thought question. Uh, and I really don't know if I completely know the answer. Why would Paul appeal to Caesar? Free trip to Rome. <laughs> yeah, free trip to Rome. Yeah, he had well, been, he not actually. Rome. This is free trip. You know, God had God had already prophesied. That's where yeah. Paul's going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to end and, up there. And this is this is the providence of of God, uh, or if you want to credit Jesus with it, who's the one that actually told Paul. Uh, but this is providential, and yeah. his course of action, everything from chapter 24, where they accuse him of quote religious error unquote which the Romans could have cared less and the Jews weren't going to compromise and understand Paul's teaching at all. They've got Paul now bound for over two years. All he's going to be doing for those two years is teaching the truth to whoever will listen. And now that they journey him to Paul, it's incredible how much preaching they open up doors of opportunity for Paul to preach to sailors, to preach to a sea captain, preach to barbarians, and finally get to Rome and preach there too. He's not a bit worried about this. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the book of Philippians talks about saints in Caesar's household. Absolutely. Oh, so, so, you know, the, it's interesting too, Tom, that the gospel got to Rome before Paul did. Yeah. That's yeah. obvious. And it got to Italy before Rome did. That's obvious. What God's allowing Paul to do is to just be the subject of these angry people's attention and forcing those people to hear what they don't want to hear. And in the course of action, there's a few going to change their mind and understand Paul knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so so that's what you have taking place as, as he goes to Caesar. But but I always find it, and the challenge in this, and, and I know all that, but the challenge in this is, uh, is why couldn't this have just been taken care of with Roman law locally? You know, you know, the Roman, again, you know, Paul's been declared innocent and he knows that they're not going to do it. But we, we know that God's hand in his, in his going to Caesar. Well, it, to answer your question, we've got the same problem in the United States. Yeah. Brother Dan just said it a little while ago. It's called pass the buck. No yeah. one wants to deal with the truth. Nobody wants to deal with the literal issue and move on to step to problem number two or two billion. They want Paul dead. That's their force. That's not going to happen, at least by their hand. And in the and and 
I've always viewed this. I, if I'm wrong, please tell me. But I've always viewed this as God's way of saying, you can whip up on the truth all you want, and the truth's going to whip up on you worse. They're, they're not going to defeat what Paul's motive is. Paul's got a motive here, too. It's, yeah. not, it's not to challenge Caesar. It's not to challenge Festus. It's not even to challenge these angry Jews. His motive is to save souls. Right. Preaching of the gospel of Christ. And these guys are just too stubborn, I guess, to open their eyes and see the truth. This, this is it's simply marvelous that, as you've got here in the chat question, it's simply marvelous that Paul is able to use civil government to get another open door to preach the gospel of Christ. I, I love that story. I would, in today's world, Tom, I've literally gone down to the courthouse and asked them, will you please put me on a jury? I've yeah. never been notified. I've never been asked. And I think the reason is I'm too anxious. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm it, serious. It, exactly. Look at the opportunities of showing the gospel of Christ, you know? Yeah, yeah, and that's great, officer. And speaking of that, let's go back to our chat room question because we want to get done with this today. So, so uh, uh, looking at the chat room question, can we use the laws of the land to protect our spiritual rights? And I think Gregor answered, and I don't know what other answers you have. Uh, anybody want to respond to that? Or, or Gregor read? wrote, absolutely. The First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution was designed for this very thing. It is often abused, yet it is still a valuable tool. That is different than making laws to force faith slash morality. And, 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 that, and that's exactly right. And, and that is the point that, to understand here. Uh, there is nothing wrong with appealing to the law to protect you, even with your religious freedoms and rights, as long as you stay within the bounds of the law in doing that. There, there's a difference between that and like Paul said, you know what, if I've done something wrong, I'm willing to die. And, 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 and furthermore, if it's about the cause of Christ, you know, I, I'm, I'm, willing, I'm willing to die uh, in the form of persecution uh, in defending Christ and so on. But if I'm able to utilize the law to protect me to do what I'm legally allowed to do, use the law. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, and, of course, the challenges that we have today is, is we are living in times where it may not be too long from now where we're going to have to think more seriously about some of the laws that are being passed if they con contradict our ability to serve God as Christians. Mm -hmm. so, any other thoughts on that? Anybody? Any thoughts? Well, it... it it does happen from time to time that churches, uh, it can be a member that tries to sue the church or some organization and, <clears throat> excuse me, we can certainly use our right to defend ourselves and especially if we're standing for the truth and trying to proclaim the word of God. Exactly. Yeah. Anything else? Okay, if not, let's go on to this next section, which is, it's at, verses 13 actually goes to the end of the chapter, but I'm just going to kind of break it up, verses 20 through 13 through 22. And let's see, I had uh, uh, Brian read for us last. Uh, let me see, Michael, can I get you read 
to read these verses for me? I'd be happy to do that for you, Tom. Beginning in verse 13. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. And when they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There's a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priest and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. To whom I answered, It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face, and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come uh, together, without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, and asked whether he was willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning the But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. Okay, thank you, Mike, uh, for reading that. Uh, our chat room question for this section is, what are your thoughts about how Festus describes Paul's religion in verse 19? So, so, so we'll get to that uh, at the end of this. Uh, so, so he, he describes what he's heard about Jesus. Okay, so uh, what, what do we know about King Agrippa? Or do we know anything about King Agrippa? This, this is Agrippa II, correct? That, that is correct, as I understand it. Yeah, he's... He, uh, you know, he's got an interesting backstory, and you, there's quite a bit about him outside of the Bible that he'd been raised by the Romans. Uh, he was probably one of the most Roman of the uh, the Herodian family, so um, you know, it's kind of interesting that he was very familiar with that. Some point here, or maybe a little later, I, I seem to recall he does something in Jerusalem that gets all the priests mad at him, and he might have already done it. And I, I should have looked up when it was that he built this uh, palace that could overlook the temple. And the priests decided they didn't want him looking in the temple, so they built a wall uh, between him and the temple, and he and, and he had it destroyed. And they were uh, there was a lot of animosity between him and the priests. So it's kind of interesting if that if that was actually I wish I knew the dating if that was actually before this moment, it'd be it'd be worth thinking about that Paul's trial is with a bunch of people that Agrippa is really pretty angry with. That's an interesting thought. A couple of the observations that I that I learned about him is uh, he's the son of Agrippa the first, who who it, it is believed is the one who was responsible for putting James to death. Uh, um, and so you got him as a part of that family, and I believe that did you that wouldn't that make him the grandson of Herod the Great? He, I think he's the great grandson. Great grandson. Yeah. Okay. And and as I understand, reading Bernice uh, is somewhat of a relative to him. Uh, uh, the term sister could be used in a roundabout way. Uh, uh, and and uh, there's things associated with that, which I know that that didn't mean a whole lot to them, obviously. Or from a moral standpoint, it didn't mean a whole lot. But, but, but here we have King Agrippa and Bernice. They come to Caesarea. 
and, and greet Festus, and they've been there a while. And, and, and one observation that was made about this is, uh, uh, again, Festus being a new ruler, just like Festus would travel around to meet people, some of the local dignitaries would come and meet him. And, and that's likely what you have here with King Agrippa on this occasion. And being a part of the Herodian family, uh, did they typically have a little bit of understanding of the Jews and their religion and so on? A bit. Yeah, 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 a, a little bit. And, and, yeah. and that's really the, the way to answer that. Uh, I've actually read in places that there was, I don't know how deep it was, but there was actually some Jewish tithes. I, I, I'm talking about from a standpoint of uh, 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 blood, bloodline, not very deep, but I think there was a little bit of it that was associated with the Herods. Well, wasn't Somewhere. Herod the Great uh, half Edomite, if I remember correctly? Yeah, 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 there you go. And, and so you have a little bit of that. So the, So that kind of factors into this. And so they were... They were a little more familiar with the, uh, the with the Jews than maybe some of the other Roman leaders. Uh, and again, uh, I, I don't remember where Festus was prior to coming to this region, but he may have been moved into this region and not been very familiar with uh, the Jews in that region. Tom, uh, I've got so a, a map here I'm going to bring up and share. It's not, everybody at home won't be able to see it too well. But I'm going this map shows the kingdom of Agrippa II after AD 61. And so you'll notice after AD 61, you had the small region here. All right. And then you come up to the Galilee area and they highlight this area here. And then coming from Caesarea Philippi out to the Trachonitis or Trachonitis. And then up here, wow, there's Texas, Abilene. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then over here a little bit, for whatever it's worth. But this was after AD 61, though. Right. Okay. Yeah. So where he will eventually end up. And actually bear in mind that this would be the late 60s or late 50s. I mean, late yeah. 50s, early or early 60s is what you would be dealing with here because he ends up in Rome somewhere around around 60, 61, I think. So, so somewhere around maybe 62. So, so it'd be close to that time. So, so that's a good observation. But anyways, that's who this Agrippa is. And, and we find that as he's visiting with Festus, uh, after a while, basically, uh, Festus asked for advice about this prisoner who was left by Felix and so on. Uh, and uh, the chief priests and the elders when he was in Jerusalem, uh, they wanted a judgment against him and so on. And he, and, uh, and he basically says, uh, you know, uh, 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 how does he describe this scenario to Agrippa? What does he want Agrippa to do? Just kind of looking at the text. Anybody? Basically, he wants to pass that buck again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He wants to find a charge. He wants yeah. to find something to say. Yeah, 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 exactly. He wants to pass the buck. Well, Paul's asked to go to Caesar, and that'll get him out of my hands. I'll probably never see him again. Uh, uh, but in the meantime, if I'm going to send him to Caesar, I, I need to have something to write down. So what do I write? And of course, he realizes that Agrippa has familiarity with, with the Jews. And we know that Agrippa has <coughs> familiarity with the Jews and the events that have happened. 
And uh, I'll just give you a little teaser. In chapter 26, we find that out. And as Paul makes his defense, he says some things that points out very clearly that Agrippa knows what's going on. And uh, so we can leave that for the for the next occasion. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, Felix is wanting advice on what would be a good thing to say. And, and, and as a result of that, uh, you know, King Agrippa, his response is, you know what, I'd like to I'd like to hear Paul. Uh, and and uh, as a result of that, uh, Festus says, tomorrow you will. And uh, that kind of leads us to, uh, it finishes us up with this section, unless somebody else has some other thoughts on this. And that's, that's a real fast pace. So let's get to, uh, let's get to uh, uh, our, our chat question here real quick. In verse number 19. Go ahead, John. Uh, the question was, in verse 19, what are your thoughts about how Festus described Paul's religion? And Gregory replies, Paul is seen as a Jew, preaching the resurrection of Jesus, having questions about their own religion. And Paul goes on to prove the very idea of resurrection as a foundation of Jewish faith. Yeah, and, and that's a good point. And that was kind of what I was getting at, you know, in, in asking that question. You know, it, it's interesting how, as when we pointed this out all throughout the book of Acts, the resurrection, it always comes up as a part, as a part of these conversations. It's the controversy. And, and, it's kind of, and it's kind of interesting the way that, the way that, uh, uh, it's worded here on this particular occasion in verse number 19. Uh, uh, this Jesus who had died, but Paul affirms that he's alive. And, uh, and of course, we deal with that today. You know, and again, that just goes back to the reminder. If you want to establish, if you want to establish the Christian faith as the way to go, you prove the resurrection, <coughs> everything else falls into place. There's so many things that are proven when you establish the resurrection. And that's why it's worth devoting considerable time to discussing the resurrection and making your case for, did Jesus arise from the dead? The answer is yes. You know, so, so anyways, uh, uh, any other thoughts on that? Tom, I had a quick thought too. Uh, I think there's a, I was thinking about what your question was and it was kind of, get, I was thinking a little different direction uh, uh, in the sense that I was thinking about his use of the word religion and our religion. And I was noticing that in the next chapter, in verse 5, Paul there describes uh, his lifestyle as being a part of our religion, meaning the religion of the Jews. And I, and I also think that there's a sense where uh, the, the only thing I think that they could have accused him of was being a part of a new religion. And part of Paul's defense is that this really isn't new. This is a fulfillment of the things of, of the religion of the Jews. You know, that, that from the Roman perspective, that would be one way they might describe that. I just think it's kind of interesting that there's there's also something legal in this that uh, that later you know the the Christians would be accused of starting a new religion that that would be one of the great persecutions they received legally and Paul's statement here is that this is this really is our religion it's the religion of the Jews that that, that these beliefs come from yeah and and, and uh, uh, that's another good observation when you when you see that in that chapter uh, or when you see in that verse you know just the observations about this you know one of the things that i have found interesting all throughout this chapter and it applies to paul as well and it's not just this chapter but this section is the diplomacy with which people carry on conversations you know you, you, you choose your words carefully 
sometimes you tell the whole story. Sometimes you tell the parts of the story that you want to tell. Sometimes uh, you embellish it so that you look better than you actually are. And, and, and you find that in many of these circumstances here. Um, virtually everything, there's, there's truth in them or there's some truth, you know, you know it, it, except for the charges, you know, the, the, the charges that were actually made. Uh, you know, we, we've already proven and, and shown that the Jewish, really, uh, they were dishonest, you know, in, in their charges and so on. But just the, the wording, the flowery wording is always interesting. So any other thoughts? Anybody? Well, if not, let's just go to our last section and, and just these last few verses, verses 23 through 27. So, so Festus has declared to Agrippa, you're going to hear him tomorrow. And in verses 23 through 27, uh, let's see, uh, Paul, can I get you to read that for us? Uh, Acts 25, 23 through 37, excuse me, 27. It says there, So the next day when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at Festus's command, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death, and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. And I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him, therefore I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. Right. Okay. Th thank you, Paul and Rita. And, and I do not have a, I do not have a specific chat room question for this, uh, these verses and so on. But, but uh, as always, if uh, if you have some comments, feel free to bring them in, and, and and we'll bring them in in the chat and so on, or any observations that you make good from this section. So, so here we find. Uh, we find Festus bringing Paul in. Uh, one of the interesting things, how's the scene described there in verse 23? I remember seeing uh, pictures sometimes of some of the, especially in other countries, that uh, when the uh, leader of one of the major leaders comes out anyway, they'll have a big military review. Well, here they have the prominent people in the city, and, and it's quite, quite an assembly. It says that uh, that when... Agrippa and Bernice are brought out that there's a great pomp and, and it seems to be a very a very official uh, and very uh, well pomp is the right word uh, kind of circumstance that's presented there certainly not not there's no humility in the room outside of maybe when Paul is brought in uh, yeah. but instead uh, a lot of people there to be recognized and yeah, 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 exactly. And, and in that, you might also consider that, and it goes along with the, your your point. Uh, this isn't just a this isn't just a hearing with the king, you know, because the king's there. Everybody else, uh, all the dignitaries of the city are called in, 
to come to this place. And, and uh, I, I think I was reading something about the commanders. You know, the commanders would have been uh, captains in the army, what we would call, you know, more, more higher ranked and had a considerable number of soldiers underneath them. Uh, I, I don't remember the number that I read, whether it was those who were over a thousand or over hundreds. It wasn't just a centurion, so probably even higher than that. So you've got these dignitaries in the cities, and they're all going to hear Paul on this occasion. And uh, and that's what takes place. And then, of course, Festus introduces Paul to King Agrippa, or at least the situation that is here. Uh, uh, and uh, what exactly does uh, Felix say about Paul? What does he hope to find out? He says, essentially, he's innocent. Please find something that I can write to Caesar and say he's guilty. <laughs> yeah, or, or a charge. Yeah, 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 yeah. Help, help me find something to pass the buck. Yeah. Diplomatically yeah. pass the buck. Yeah, right. It I see a like, good sermon coming here, Tom. <laughs> oh, pass the buck. Yeah, there you go. It seems like when you look at this that, well, Felix has held him over and had no nothing to accuse him of. Festus has held him over and has nothing to accuse him of. And now all of a sudden he appeals to Caesar. And so he's got to go to Caesar. But why? And when he gets mm -hmm. there, Caesar's probably, Augustus here, he's probably not going to be very happy to see here's a Roman citizen who's been held for these years. And they haven't come up with a charge against him yet. Yeah. And so before they can send him, they have to have an accusation. Yeah. Was it not true that in that day, uh, governors and proconsuls and all that held Roman citizens without accusation, they themselves could be tried for some type of governmental crime? Wasn't that true? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I believe so. That seems to be the indication, at least by the way that the... Uh, the way that the, the the soldier in Jerusalem deals with Paul when he finds out he's a Roman citizen. He was so concerned he, that he'd beaten him uncondemned. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like he, immediately, you know, as soon as Paul says, you know, I was born a citizen, they drop their whips. Or I, that's not the wording that she's, but, but that's kind of the scene there. They drop their whips and they take a step back. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, immediately. So, so you've got this understanding that there was a protection associated with Roman citizenship. Uh, uh, citizenship has its privileges. Uh, you, you might use that as a description. And, mm -hmm. and, and so, so uh, that's taking place here. And again, as was observed, verse 25, uh, I found he's committed nothing deserving of death. Uh, uh, but I've decided to send him because he appealed to Caesar. And uh, so uh, let's see if we can find something. Let's examine him, uh, and and uh, then we'll determine what would be the best thing to write as we send him to Caesar. Uh, and, of course, the conclusion in verse 27, it's unreasonable to send one uh, without specifying a charge. You know, that would be an interesting thing. Uh, you arrest a criminal or you arrest somebody as a criminal, and then you send them to a different jurisdiction, you know, the the sheriff's department sends a prisoner to the county jail. What's his charges, they ask? Oh, uh, we hadn't figured that out yet, but we want you to keep them. Uh, what's wrong with this picture? You know, and, and, and that's what we have taking place here. So any other thoughts on that? Well, and it's too late just to let him go. Uh, yeah. He's made his, he's made his appeal. 
Yeah, he's because ready you to think go. the easy the easy out would be let him go, yeah. uh, but because we have nothing to accuse him of, but it seems that it's that it's too late for that. So yeah, yeah and it's kind of interesting because you've had two years to do that, more than two years, two years and at least a month. You know, you know, you know, based on it. But Dan, do you have something? Well, it just it strikes me based on verse twenty three that Festus has just given Paul another opportunity to preach the gospel to the prominent men of the city. Yeah. And I'm sure the Jews would not have been very happy about that. And of course, that takes you into the next chapter with what he says. Right. But this is just the beginning of Paul taking the gospel to the Roman leadership all the way up to Caesar. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Any other thoughts? Any other thoughts on that? So, so we have here a... a we have here a quote from uh, Brian put out a quote. Well, why don't you mention that quote as we wrap this up, Brian? Because this is well, the you know the, the question has been what was the Roman uh, Roman legal issue about having uh, persecuted a Roman citizen? Uh, there was a trial some time before that was prosecuted by the famous orator Cicero, and I was just uh, it's pretty well recorded about a Roman governor who had unjustly uh, I think he ultimately crucified a, a Roman citizen. And Cicero's comments in that trial, well, ultimately, they crucified the Roman governor, I believe. I, I, don't, I actually didn't read ahead. That's my recollection of it. But, uh, but, it, but Cicero quotes the Roman law. He says, it's a crime to bind a Roman citizen. To scourge him is a wickedness. To put him to death is a, almost a parasite. That, uh, that, in other words, the Roman law was explicitly clear that you couldn't do this to a Roman citizen. And this was a governor that they're prosecuting. So, in other words, even their position didn't protect them that if they did this unjustly to a Roman citizen, they could be held accountable for it. And as I said, to the degree that this Roman governor, my recollection is he was ultimately put to death for this crime. So uh, what's interesting is you have two Roman governors that are now kind of, you know, one should be very nervous. Uh, that would be Felix. And then Festus seems to, you know, have some concern about this as well. That if we send this guy in, you know, how's that going to look on the rest of us? So yeah, 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 exact, exactly. Uh, any other thoughts? Right. Okay. Well, well, that basically wraps up uh, chapter twenty-five, and that's all that I had. I don't think we have any other thoughts in the uh, in the chat room, do we? No. Okay. So if we do not, then uh, then I actually got through the chapter in a week. So. So I, I'm 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 done, and uh, I'm going to turn it over to John. And and they say miracles have ceased. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but look at the chapter. <laughs> oh, no comment, Tom. You did a good job. I appreciate you filling in, covering the chapter for us today. And Dan, it's good to have you on the study. Good to um, be here. Tom kind of talked. You know, hog the the mic, but you, you got some words in, so I appreciate it. <laughs> no. um, let's see, Paul. Did you say that you have it for next week? No, I thought I thought Mike did. Uh, no, uh, if no objections, I'd be glad to do it. Twenty six. Okay. Yeah, I may have read the wrong name when one one of y'all volunteered earlier. Yeah, I I'm I may not be able to be with you the week following. Uh, because of a meeting in Illinois, but I'll be glad to help you out next week. You know, I'm glad you said that, Mike, because we won't have a study on the 16th. 
that's two weeks from today, correct? Yep, that's correct. Yeah. I should still be in, in in Indiana at that time. I start the meeting on the 20th, so a couple of weeks. Okay, all right. Okay, I still do chapter so, 26. So what we'll do then is is um, we'll have next week's the 9th, and then we'll be off a week, and then the 23rd and 30th should bring us to the end of our study of Acts. Sure. And um, we're going to start a um, – we're prepping to go a different direction for a little bit, maybe doing some topical studies, and we've been doing some discussion in the background about that and we will try to keep you and the website updated once we nail that down a little bit but okay all righty um any other thoughts or comments from anyone mike since we got you up on the screen i i find this the fascinating part of paul's life here's a man that they can find no fault with him in civil government none against the law of moses certainly nothing against the law of christ and yet to keep him in prison and if nothing else is seen by this, you see a Christian remaining determined to be faithful unto death. And ultimately, history records that's where Paul goes. He's preaching the gospel every place he can go. And you find that there isn't a soul he ever encounters for what that soul needs the truth. That's the lesson we need to learn. That's right. Paul, any thoughts? Well, as we look at this, I agree with Mike there that what this serves to us is as a great example of uh, how convinced that Paul was of the things that he believed. And we see that with the others uh, as well, in particular the apostles, uh, that they never gave up no matter how hot the heat became. Uh, they never gave up. They, they held their convictions true. And that's how firmly they believed those things. That's right. That's right. Uh, Brian, any final thoughts? You know, I, uh, one of the things we considered, Tom brought this out really well, and I just think it's a great point, is this is one of those chapters that, while at first, theologically, we don't see a lot, we're seeing a lot as far as the veracity of the Bible. This is a very falsifiable chapter. In other words, there's a lot of details here that if they weren't true, it would uh, it could be demonstrated very quickly. But instead, what we're seeing is a very accurate and uh, a very explicit and detailed account of a Roman trial that, again, one yet one more of many times where we're able to say, here's, here's the word of God, absolutely true, written by eyewitnesses that actually witnessed these things. You know, I, I, that's a very good point because um, Paul probably would have had access to the letters that were sent back and forth. And if Luke traveled with Paul, he would have had firsthand access to those letters as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so it's very, very good point. Alrighty, well, I appreciate everyone joining us today for our study. We will continue our study through the book of Acts next Wednesday. And that'll be at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. If you're in the Eastern Time Zone, like we are here in Ellettsville, Indiana, that will be at noon. 9 a.m. Pacific Time. 10 a.m. Mountain Time. That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.